today. So growing in a um, sense of um, partnership and then uh, growing in a sense of perspective that even in the midst of the uh, challenges that we face in our everyday life, uh, that it's all unto the purposes of advancing the gospel. And then finally, growing in perseverance, growing in perseverance where as we're pursuing the kingdom of God, um, that we need to preserve uh, the unity that he's given us through the bond of peace. And that's where we're going to pick up today. So today, if you have um, a Bible, you can turn to Philippians chapter two. Uh, Philippians chapter two is where we're picking up. And if you're taking notes today, we're going to uh, go on with the theme of grow. Um, with growing in three things. Uh, Number one, and these are things that I hope uh, will uh, be seen not only in the scripture that we're reading, um, but that though they're countercultural and they're not spoken of much in our culture, they're important to the heart of God, and therefore we need to center our lives around growing in these things. So today's um, um, understanding as we read Philippians 2 is growing and showing honor. Number two, growing in character. And then number three, growing in loyalty, growing in loyalty, which is an often forgotten uh, topic in our present generation. So let's pray, and then we'll get into the Word of God. Father, thank you so much for your, again, kindness towards us. Lord, we thank you that today as we celebrate um, uh, people's baptisms, even their public confession of faith um, unto you, that, God, you are not only starting a work in us as a people, but you're growing us until the day of Christ Jesus, where we are able to stand before you face-to-face and honor and praise you, throwing down our crowns before you, proclaiming that you are king and God and that you are the one worthy of all of our praise. God, we're asking that today as we dive into your word, that we would actually grow in a sense of um, all of these qualities before you, that we'd grow in a sense of um, having the ability to grow in showing honor to you and one another, that we grow in our character, our steadfastness and provenness before you, and that we grow in our loyalty to you and one another as we serve you, the king of kings and lord of lords. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so here we go. So Philippians 2, let's pick up there. He says this, Paul's continuing this letter that he's writing to the church, giving them instruction about how to grow as the people of God. And he says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. I threw in that vein there because I was in the NIV. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory 
of God the Father. So whenever we look at this beginning portion of Scripture, what we see is that God is fully intent on receiving glory. God is fully intent on receiving honor. And in our lives, the thing that is going to complete us, as Jerry Maguire would say, is actually posturing our heart in such a way that we give God his due. There is no serving God as a Christian. There is no serving God as um, the people of God if without showing honor to the one that it's due. When we look at this scripture here, we are familiar with this scripture that starts with this having this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. You go on through this scripture and it talks really about um, the nature of Jesus Christ, that he was God of God who came in the flesh. And whenever you look at this, what you have to understand is that this was a homily or a song that was sung in the churches to help the church remember the identity of Christ and his very, the very theology that surrounded him. That whenever the church was being started and they were trying to not only understand the God of the Old Testament, but understand that the God of the Old Testament had expressed himself in Jesus, they fully explained this in this homily explaining who Jesus Jesus was. And if you've never studied this, it's important that we go through it so that we can, first of all, in all of our understanding, honor him as he actually is. Not just as a prophet, not just as a good teacher, not just as a good man, but the, in fact, the son of God who became flesh. So let's look at this. Growing and showing Jesus honor. It says that though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, that's confusing for a lot of people sometimes whenever they read that because immediately they look at that and they say, well, is he saying that he's not God? The fact is, is that he's not saying that he's not God, but the scripture there is saying that he didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to. So meaning that he was God of God from eternity past. It was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God who spoke the world and all the um, universe that we see around us into existence. But to fulfill the redemptive work of God, Jesus Christ, the Son, didn't consider equality with the Father something to be held on to. But he emptied himself and came to the earth in the form of humans who he needed to redeem. He needed, according to Hebrews, to become like us in every way, become of the flesh that we were, born of a virgin, but born of flesh, so that he might be able to identify with us in every way, so that when he went to the cross, he might actually be an appropriate sacrifice for us when he died for us in place of us, in substitution for us. And so what we see is that when he emptied himself, but taking on the form of a servant, what he was doing is that he was humbling himself, not relegating his divinity only to the place of when he was in heaven, but he maintained his divinity and humbled himself, taking on flesh that was less than the divinity that he ultimately was. 
and he actually became a servant, that the God who made all of creation came not just to be served, Jesus said, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus, whenever he's making these strong charges, saying that I want you not to come as one who lords it over people, even when you're in leadership, but come as a servant to others, you are only following the example that Jesus set himself. Whenever you're choosing to humble yourself and show honor to others, you're doing that which Jesus himself did. But we should never forget that though he was humbling himself as a servant, he did not... Number one, let go of his divinity. And then number two, he did not remain in the place of a servant. He was also crucified, resurrected from the dead, and ascended on high to be worshipped and served by all mankind. And whenever God Almighty is saying that we're to look to Jesus and that he has the name above every name because he was obedient to death, even death on a cross, that means that he's to be shown the honor that's due him. And there is no church, there is no Christianity, there is no service to God without honoring the son who humbled himself and then was exalted. It is not enough in this generation just to be spiritual. Many of you have family members or friends, I know I do, who talk about honoring God, right? They talk about spiritual things, but they leave out the very person of Jesus through whom all of the honor is supposed to come. And any honor that's supposed to start in the life of a Christian starts with honoring the son because the father has honored him and given him the name that's above every name. So in our pluralistic relativistic generation, pluralistic, meaning that people think that there are many ways to God, or relativistic, meaning that people think that something might be true for you but not for them, that all truth is relative and you can make up or choose your own truth. What God is saying is that there's only one truth. There's only one way. There's only one truth and there's only one life and it's through Jesus who's been given the name that's above every name. Though he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, you've got to understand that through his obedience to the commands of God, giving us a perfect example to follow, God has exalted his son and said, you must come to me through him. Does that make sense, everybody? There is no getting around serving Jesus as Lord if you're going to serve him, if you're going to serve God, rather. At the same time, this is what, going back, that once we honor God, he gives us an imperative that it's not just about honoring him, but then it's how do you play that out? How do you play out honoring God on a daily basis? Well, the honor of God plays itself out by the relationships that we have on a daily basis, whether it be in your family with your spouse, whether it be with your church family, how about this, whether it be in your workplace. Showing honor is part of the heart and the quality of God in such a way that if you are seeing the kingdom of God work in you and not only work in your heart, but then work itself out, there's got to be an expression of that honor that you're showing to Jesus by showing honor to those who surround you. And this is called incarnate ministry, right? Jesus putting on flesh And so often we talk about our Christianity in these sort of esoteric terms where it has no bearing on everyday life. 
But Jesus, whenever he talked about his commands, it had everything to do with everyday life. He said there is no loving God if you can't love the man or the woman in front of you. He said, how can you love God who you can't see if you can't love the person who you can see who's right in front of you? That's even why he said in the first commandments, one of the first commandments that he gave in the Ten Commandments was honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, right? And he didn't qualify that commandment. He didn't say honor them if they deserve honor. He said honor them because I said so. He said, honor them. Why? Because if you cannot honor the one that you see and the authority that you have right in front of you, how are you going to say that in your heart you're honoring an authority that you cannot see? He's continually saying, honor me and show me that you're honoring me by the honor that you show to one another. And what does that honor look like? Now, this is a very different picture and a very different example of maybe the work environment in which you find yourself or even the academic environment in which you find yourself. Why? Because especially in a city like Chicago, things are cutthroat, are they not? What you see is that people are trying to advance in their careers. People are trying to make more money, have better positions, work their way up the proverbial ladder. In school, I think that I I constantly talk to people who are in med school or in law school and people who are literally trying to study for exams but find that they go to the library and cannot find the very books that they need because somebody's hidden it from them because they're trying to actually show themselves superior in their schoolwork than somebody else who's in the same class. Has anybody ever heard of that before? It happens. It happens. It's cutthroat. But the thing is, is that in the kingdom of God, he's saying, I'm giving you a different example to live by. What is that example? He says, verse one, if there is any encouragement in Christ, and we should all have encouragement in Christ, right? If you know the gospel, you know that you're forgiven because of Jesus' sacrifice for you, that you can be cleaned, free from guilt, free from sin, free from shame any comfort from his love, any participation in the Holy Spirit, any affection and sympathy. And that word in the Greek sympathy meant something that was visceral, something that you could actually feel that you don't just, you're not just around the people that you're trying to show honor to, but you actually feel what they're feeling. You actually are with them in the moment. You know what I'm saying? It's sort of like nowadays because we're so inundated with information or news or just different reports, it's almost like we become numb to the things that are important in life. But what he's saying is that if you have any compassion, if you have any sympathy, the thing that actually you feel in your bowels, if you actually are moved by that which someone on your right or your left is going through, then do this, he said. How do you show honor? You show honor and complete his joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being of full accord in one mind. You do it by having no selfish ambition. That when I'm interacting with those around me, let, let, let's break this down very quickly. When I'm interacting, for instance, with my wife, that I'm not just looking, and so many people get married to um, try to look for who can complete them and who, what they can get out of somebody else, right? 
This person is finally going to satisfy all of my emotional needs. This person is finally going to tell me how great I am all the time. This person is going to serve me like I deserve to be served. Come on now, has anybody said that in their heart of hearts? Okay, you won't admit it, I will. The point is, is that what you see about real marriage, though godly marriage, is that God says that this person should not be taken advantage of. This person should be looked at as one that you're looking to serve, not be served by. Selfish ambition is what can I get out of it, but showing an honor to someone else, whether it be your spouse, coworker, family member, or friend, is actually looking first to what I can give them. When you think about even godly leadership, people think about wanting to read all these books all the time about leadership. And leadership is, oh, I like how John Maxwell um, characterized it. He basically said it's influence, right? If you're going to lead somebody, it's influence. Then the point is, is that whenever you come into a room, he talks about um, the godly influence. And he says that whenever most people come into the room, they're looking for who would notice them, right? It's sort of like a high school. I mean, everybody has the challenge day after day and week after week of trying to get out of a high school mentality. You know what I'm talking about? We're, what, 30, 40, 50, 20, whatever, how old you are. Yeah, I mean, but it's sort of like people still find it challenging to get out of the high school mentality. Why? Because in the high school mentality, when you walked into a room, you were looking for who noticed you and who was going to accept you, Right? You are looking ultimately for your people. But ultimately, in God's economy, he's saying it's selfish ambition. And when you're leading in God's economy, you're not coming into the room saying, here I am. But instead, you're going into a room saying, there you are. There you are. Meaning, it's, I'm, glad it's a, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here so I can serve you. It's not about what I can get out of this situation. It's how can I position myself to serve you. And that's completely different than the mentalities that we have in this world. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Conceit, meaning that I just want people to notice me and tell me how great I am. He says, but in humility, this is important. He says, if we're walking in the same attitude of Christ, this is a hard one. Consider others of greater significance than yourself. Consider others of greater significance than yourself. That means in our church family, in your natural family, when you're serving like Christ would in your workplace, you're considering those who surround you of greater significance than yourself. And you're interacting with them in such a way that they can feel that. What does that mean? Does that mean just allowing them to step all over you? No. People always go to extremes. But it does mean I'm going to look out for their interests before I consider my own. I'm going to look out for how I can serve them before I look for what I can get out of the situation. And when Christ is trying to complete a work in us, he's saying grow in, the, in your desire even to show honor to others. That means that if somebody gets a promotion and I haven't yet, I'm looking to rejoice with them, not tear them down. 
if somebody gets something that they've been believing for, I'm looking to celebrate with them and not in jealousy talk badly about them because I'm still waiting for mine. Right? These are the practical things. I'm looking to say, God has been good to you and I'm with you. I'm honoring the fact that God has blessed you and I'm going to do it with my mouth. I'm going to do it in my thoughts and I'm going to do it, how about this, even with the muscles in my face. (laughs) That's right. Sometimes it's a stretch, right? That's okay. That's what the joker did, right? (laughs) So like, just put it there and eventually the feelings will follow or it'll get stuck. Either way, it's good, okay? But what prevents a culture of honor? It's really the fruit of the flesh, which is what? Jealousy and envy. Jealousy and envy. Whenever he talks about showing honor, we're happy to give it to Jesus because we know that we don't deserve any of the fame or any of the glory for honor. We're honest with ourselves. Everybody say amen to that. We all know that we deserve to go to hell, and Jesus, by his sacrifice, saved us all, and only he could do it, right? So we're happy to show him honor. The hard part is looking at someone just like us. It's not hard to show honor to Jesus. It's hard to look at somebody who is just like you, and matter of fact, in your heart of hearts, you think you're better than. Can I say that? Is that, is that okay to say? You think you're better than. You think you're more intelligent. You think you're more skilled. You think you work harder. You think all of these things. And listen, you are commanded to that person to consider them of greater significance than yourself. And why does he point it out? Because he knows that left to ourselves, we'll be trampling one another. If not overtly, secretly behind closed doors because jealousy and envy are driving us rather than the love of God which looks to promote and celebrate one another rather than tearing one another down. As the people of God, we need to grow in showing honor, not just to Jesus. That's the easy part, right? Because like we sing the song, there is none higher, there is none greater, right? Yours is the name above all names. But do you understand that even before he talked about his identity, he actually talked about how we're to relate to one another. He says, because this is how you're going to worship me. This is how you're going to show me that you're honoring me as I am in how you treat the rest of my body. Okay, growing character. Philippians 2, he says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Okay, I'm going to repeat that. He says, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but now much more in my absence, meaning you just don't do the right thing or you don't just do the Christian thing when eyes are on you, but you actually have a private life that reflects what you profess publicly. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So whatever you say God is doing in your heart, don't get so spiritual, right? That you talk about God's doing this great work in my heart, but there is no change in the way that you're interacting with those around you because your salvation should work itself out. 
right? What started in the in, on the inside, Jesus said, don't look for the kingdom from here or there or everywhere. He said, because the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God, his rule starts in your heart, but it needs to work itself out. And how? With fear and trembling. With fear and trembling, meaning that, yes, judgment begins. This is good news. Judgment begins with the house of God. Anybody ever read that before? People always talk about God judging the world, but he says judgment begins with the house of God. He says, I want my kids to get it right first. And so work out your salvation with fear and trembling in the same way that you came to God in repentance and faith with a holy fear, understanding that if I don't repent of this thing, then God will have nothing to do with me. As the children of God, it does not mean that if we sin, God's going to get rid of us, but we need to have the same awe towards God as we did at the first. Working out our salvation. So many people stop in their progression and their sanctification because they think that once I say a sinner's prayer, that's it, baby. I got my get out of hell free card and I can live whatever way I want to. But Paul's saying, listen, you need to work out that salvation with the same fear and trembling that you did whenever you made the confession. Because God's still as holy as he was when you made the confession even if you've been walking with him for years. Amen? Sort of like when people get used to their marriages and start to coast a little bit, taking their spouse for granted, right? That's what happens with God too, right? People say, well, he'll be, he'll be there. Don't really matter what I do. Well, he'll be there. No, no, Paul's saying something different. Work it out with fear and trembling. <clears throat> As Luis and I always like to joke, what you did to get them, got to do to keep them, right? Come on, brothers. All right. <laughs> All right. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without golly, this is difficult. Do everything, all things, without grumbling. Or disputing may not be important to us, but guess who's it's important to? No trick questions here, God. <laughs> okay, <laughs> do everything, not some things, not just the things that you're you feel like you're justified in grumbling about. Come on now, right? Not just the things that you think it's okay to complain about because it's wrong in your eyes. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. Meaning that if we're grumbling and disputing that we might not be innocent, though we think we are. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. 
Now, I want to go off-road a little bit here because this, this is a difficult one. And really, if you were to talk about growing in character so that you can work out your salvation with fear and trembling, what does it generally mean? In our context, it means to rise above the pettiness of life. Rise above the pettiness of life. Most people are disgruntled and it is get into a big rut. And I'm telling you, I'm guilty of this myself, but it becomes easier and it becomes a a well-worn rut to complain about things and gripe about things and talk about all the issues that the devil's just feeding you about people and things and situations. It becomes a well-worn rut to become easy to complain about the issues of life rather than actually growing and enough character to say, God, I thank you for this circumstance because this is the circumstance that's going to grow me. This is the circumstance that's going to grow my character. And instead of actually complaining all the time, whether, and here, here's the thing, I justify it because I'm only complaining to my spouse. Thinks he wants to hear it all the time? No. If she could, she'd be like, shut up. And sometimes I feel like she is. I'm like, what'd you say? (laughs) She's like, oh, nothing, dear. Praying. (laughs) But it's true, right? We think that we have the right to vent. We think that we have the right to talk to our confidants and actually complain about the very thing that God himself has handed you to mold and shape you into his image. This is why in Thessalonians, he said, thank God in every circumstance. Not some of them, not the ones that are pleasant or easy, but he says in every circumstance, whether it be in your workplace, your relationships, whether it be a financial state you're trying to reorganize, he said, thank God in all circumstances because it's his will for you in Christ Jesus. Does that mean we're fatalistic? No. Does that mean we have to stay in the circumstance in which we find ourselves? No. But it does mean that until he changes it, and as we pray and believe in that situation, that he expects us to grow in character, which means a provenness. A provenness, a steadiness in character, a steadiness in the qualities and the fruit of the Holy Spirit coming out of us. That regardless of the fire we find ourselves in, Christ is coming out. That's why Paul in Galatians said what? It's no longer I who live, right? Galatians 2.20. But Christ who lives in me. Real popular scripture. It's not, the life that I now live, I don't live for myself, but I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, right? Nice idea. But how does that play itself out? It plays itself out when we grow in enough character that despite the circumstances, we're not grumbling and complaining along the way. Complaining, not just about the circumstance, but about one another. Complaining about those closest to you who are to be the greatest gifts that God gives you for forming and shaping you into his image, right? Living above the normal pettiness. Seeker grumbling in private pillow talk, it poisons the soul. If you can think about the words coming off of my mouth, it's either going to be something that strengthens me or something that poisons me, right? 
If I complain once, it becomes easier to complain the next time. Right? I, I just say, well, I can't believe the, the boss did that. You're digging a path. Then next time, not if, but when something comes up. Oh, remember we were just talking about that? Yeah, I do. Yeah, they need to get fired, don't they? Yes, they do. Well-worn path. And then eventually it builds and builds until it not only poisons you, but those around you. But what God's calling us to is to do something different. Second Timothy 2, 1 through 7, Paul was talking to Timothy, his young disciple who was in this um, Philippian contest working with him. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, I want you to entrust to faithful men who will also be able to, um, <clears throat> to teach others. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. How in the world do I grow in character? I need to learn to suffer. And I'm not talking about suffering just in terms of physical ailment or some sort of mental torment. I'm talking about the suffering that comes in keeping my mouth shut when I'm tempted to complain. Does anybody feel the suffering that comes when that happens? When you've actually bit your tongue before? You feel like somebody's doing something to you. You're like, this hurts. There's a suffering that's taking place in your soul, but it's actually producing a righteousness in you that's looking like Christ. And whenever you're going through a fire, let me tell you, when he talks about the refiner's fire, many people have heard about the refining fire, right? That's a popular, popular theme in Christianity, the refining fire. You know what they would do in the refiner's fire? They would actually burn the metal and heat it up, heat it up, heat it up, until eventually the one who was melting that thing could see their reflection in it. And whenever Jesus is trying to refine you like fire, the heat is going to cause suffering, but eventually he's going to be able to see his reflection in you. And he says, don't share, don't, don't complain, don't, bitter, don't be bitter, but share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Now, here's the point. No soldier, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. No one gets involved in civilian affairs. Have you ever found yourself in a cycle of gossip or found yourself in a cycle of just complaint and said, why am I doing this? This doesn't feel right, but I'm just in this pattern now. It's hard to stop it. It's like a runaway locomotive. But whenever you were in Christ, you found yourself actually having the strength to turn that which was poisoning the well before. Have you ever found that to be the case before? And you found that the very things you were complaining about were what were characterized as these civilian pursuits. I don't care when I'm focused on Christ and winning people to Jesus and making disciples and seeing people get baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit and their marriage is saved, restored and baptized. I don't care about all the other stuff that people complain about. You know what I'm talking about? When I'm actually focused on the things that God cares about, the other things that usually bother me don't bother me. Right? When I'm focused on the right things. Whenever you are actually in the middle of the fight, you don't have time 
to sin. Isn't that good news? Isn't that what happened with King David, a warrior? Advancing the kingdom of God in Old Testament Israel. But it said that at the time, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David stayed behind, didn't fulfill his role as a soldier, and then saw Bathsheba bathing across the way. And I was like, huh, didn't notice that before. And in the midst of him being involved in civilian pursuits, he found himself sinning rather than actually growing and advancing the kingdom of God as he was supposed to. My question is, what does that look like for you? What does it look like for you? What does it look like to be involved in civilian pursuits rather than in the kingdom of God? What things is God concerned about that can raise you above the pettiness? And what things have we been trapped by? sort of in the mire and in the mud. He's saying, I don't want you to be involved in the civilian pursuits. Here's an example. You don't have the right to get upset with a family member, church member, coworker, or friend if you are not willing to first talk to them about an area of offense. You don't have the right to do that, right? Isn't that what the Bible says, Matthew 18? If someone sins against you, go and show them their fault just between the two of you. What do civilians do? They're around a water cooler talking about that person rather than talking to the person. Right? He says, do something different. To have private meetings, discussions, and plottings without the involved party is sin and gives way for the devil's manipulation in your soul. He's saying we need to grow in character and actually start to live according to the honor. First, he expects us to show him the honor. He expects us to show one another and grow in the character so that we're not complaining and arguing all the time, but we're addressing the one who can actually affect change. First God and then the one whom we're in, in, um, I'm sorry, in relationship with. Know that the accuser of the brethren, which is devil, the devil or Satan, comes as an angel of light and makes you think you have righteous insight when really you are being puppeted. Has anybody ever been mad with their coworkers, friends, spouse, family, whatever? Just insert something. Somebody you were in relationship with, you thought you had some sort of righteous insight into why you should be angry with them without talking to them. And then finally, when you talked to them, you found that, number one, they didn't think the things that you thought they thought. They didn't do the things that you thought they did. But instead, it was an accuser manipulating your relationship. Has anybody ever found something like that before? This is what he's saying. He's saying, listen, don't get bogged down in the civilian pursuits, but go up to God. Let me tell you, the only way that you're going to be able to do that is actually by staying in the presence of God. The only way to have the strength to resist is a daily diet of manna from heaven. There's a marked difference when you stay in the presence of God. And what I mean by manna from heaven, obviously with some physical food back in the day, but it's actually your soulless food now. Being before God and in his presence, getting the strength to actually hold your tongue and instead bless those you would otherwise curse with normal complaints 
if you hadn't met with God and actually gotten his perspective first. To grow in character means to grow in these things. And then finally, what that produces in us is the ability to grow in loyalty. Loyalty is a sort of a forgotten concept in our generation. Would everybody agree with that? Loyal, I mean, loyalty is like loyal what? I do what I want when I want. If you look at me the wrong way, I'm out. Right? Because we come from, not, not all of us, but many of us come from dysfunctional homes and dysfunctional relationships. And then what happens? If there isn't something that interjects itself and turns the course, we only repeat what we've, been see- what we've seen or what we've been exposed to. But in God, he's saying, I'm through the cross putting a stake in the ground and I'm turning it so that you might actually grow in loyalty, not only to me, but actually to those I've given you. I've given you. He says this in Philippians 2, 19 through 30, and this is our last part. He said, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him Excuse me. who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Imagine this. Can you, can you imagine being a part of this as Paul's writing this letter? Say, we're the church in Philippi, right? And he's writing this letter, and then all of a sudden there was this guy, Timothy. Some of them might have called him Cole, right? And it's like, all of a sudden, you see this guy, and he was like literally laying down his life for the people. We're, this isn't just a random story. This is our lives, right? Anybody used to watch soap operas with the grandma? Okay, days of our life. Okay. This is real. Look at this. Imagine this. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you another guy, Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. You see this terminology? This is important terminology. We glaze over it all the time. But he's trying to give you a picture of what life in God looks like. That when you're serving God, guess what you get to be? You get to be a fellow soldier, a fellow worker, right? Do you see this? Has anybody ever, you need to begin to, in your holy imagination, not just read it for information, but read the Bible for transformation. Read the Bible so that you can actually see God shaping you, your life and your lens and how you're living as reflected through this by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is giving you a picture saying, I'm trying to put you in the story. Giving you an example. Romans 15.4, right? Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the encouragement and endurance and the encouragement of the scripture, we might have hope. Hope in what? That this is what God started and he's continuing in his living church. To this day. So when I read this, I'm like, listen, I want to be like Timothy. 
I want to be like Epaphroditus, right? I'm not just reading it to say, oh yeah, I've heard of that name before. I'm like, what did they do and what was significant that God's mentioning them? Right? What's significant about the way that they're living? That they're mentioned in the scripture that's being read for millennia. Saying, follow their example and follow their lead. This guy Epaphroditus, he said, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all. Can you imagine that? Longing for the people on your right and left. That 60 seconds we have at the beginning, it's not just so you can make a lunch date. And so you can begin to know the people and say, I want to know you outside of this place so that there might be a longing for you that rises up in my soul. These community groups, thank God for our community group leaders. Amen? Yes, they are longing, longing for you, praying for you, right? Saying we're sharing in this life together. And has been distressed, yes, distressed, because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow, meaning if he died. I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and here's that word again, honor such men. Honor such men. He said, not only honor the Lord, honor such men, honor people who've laid down their lives. Thank God for our worship team, amen? Week, yes, you can clap. (laughs) Week after week, getting up early. They could play by themselves, you know that, right? They've got skills, they could do all by themselves. I need them, you don't, you know what I mean? It's like, I need them to play. But here's the point, we honor people who are faithful, We honor people who long for the people of God and who are loyal to the kingdom. He says, so receive them in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. He almost died. And in their context, if you can think that back in the day, they didn't have the medical technology that we had, like when they got sick on the road or traveling about, you know, it was tough. That's why Paul even said to Timothy, stop drinking only water and have some wine with your meals because of your frequent illnesses, right? He's like, it's tough to be in this pagan world ministering and laying down the life through storm. And you know what I mean? Paul said, I know what it is to be in plenty and want. Sometimes he was without food and shelter. Sometimes he was being beaten and whipped. He's like, listen, these people are laying down their lives for you. What does that mean in our context? In a context full of comfort. What does that mean in our context? This seems foreign to us because all of us are ha- almost have Christianity handed on a silver platter to us. And it becomes an easy thing. We don't like have to sacrifice anything for it, so we take it for granted. And so there's no loyalty produced in us towards God or his people because it costs us nothing. But what could it actually mean in our context to grow in loyalty towards God and his people? It means that we inconvenience ourselves where we can to prioritize the things of God, 
to prioritize the worship of him and the community that he's given that he wants us to grow in and with. And that I understand I am a piece of iron. Everybody beat your, well, you don't have to beat your chest. Okay. But, but <laughs> metaphorically, I am a piece of iron that needs to rub against those that I see, know, and love. You are a piece of iron that needs to rub against me. I need you to rub me, meaning I need you to, like, rub against me. And, sorry, it's hard to speak all the time. But, like, it's like, <laughs> it's like I need you to rub against me in the right way so that sparks begin to fly. You understand? When you see iron sharpening iron, that means sometimes there are sparks flying. That means sometimes you're telling me what I don't want to hear. That means you're getting in my face and sometimes telling me, Rollin, don't say that again. B does that all the time. (laughs) I'm up here thinking it's the most profound example. And I see her go, and I'm like, I just caused someone pain. And you know what? I try to remember and not repeat it because it was iron sharpening iron. That's what you need to grow in character. That's what you need, but it takes a loyalty to do so, right? I was willing to inconvenience myself to the point of death. No one's going to, unfortunately, in, the, in Chicago, nobody's probably going to die around here for inconveniencing yourself to try to minister the gospel, unless it's like we get another summer that was hot and we pass out in here. But the point is, nobody's going to do that, Right? Well, what, well, how can something of the same type of substance be produced in us? Being intentional about taking the opportunities we're actually given. You, you see that? God hasn't left you a lesser Christianity just because it's 2017 and we have all of the technology and all the amenities around us. He says, I want the same character in you. I want the same loyalty in you. Towards God and one another. The only difference is you've got to contextualize it within your time and within your opportunities. So you need to ask yourself now, how am I going to, to the point of death, be loyal to not only God, but the people around me that he's trying to build his image in and his kingdom through? Does that make sense, everyone? I hope so. Because what God wants us to do is to continue to grow. Grow in showing honor. Grow in character. And grow in loyalty. Last example for the loyalty is like literally. If you guys want to have kids one day, you're going to be loyal to your kids, I hope. Right? Through their ups, through their downs, through their good, through their bad. Through their man, they're just like me. To their man, they're just like that cousin I don't want to talk about. (laughs) Right? (laughs) That's the type of life and godliness that God wants to bring in his people. It's not enough just to know theology. You've got to know orthodoxy, okay, which is proper, right, teaching. Orthopraxy, which is 
right living and have orthopathos, even right feeling. We talked about all of this. Just with this one chapter, orthodoxy and who Christ is, the right interpretation of him. Orthopraxy, this is how the church relates. Orthopathos, this is how they feel towards one another and therefore are devoted to one another in this manner. Let's not just talk about the things of God, but be the people of God and grow in kind. Amen? All right, worship team.